Hi, good morning. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these, to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there, were, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the, to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. O oh, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you, up, bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own, in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word. As we come to look at such a big uh, topic today, help us to understand the exile, uh, not for head knowledge of history, but how we need to not be in exile with you. Amen. Where is your place? You know, where you love to be, your home, your land. I think our place, that, that, kind of, that kind of place that is unambiguously yours, it's where you belong. For me, it's my country, it's my home, wherever my family is, and it's my lounge. The bit of land that is most important to me is wherever my lounge is on. And not just the lounge, if you've been to my house and you know the... the, tri- the, the um, a corner lounge that we have, the corner um, brown lounge, it's the corner. And if you've sat in that corner and I've been there, you are very fortunate. I love that part. You see, the idea of a land and a place is kind of what we want. We love to belong. Having your own place even just on the physical broad sense of a land, is important. I think it's one of the reasons why many of us, not all of us, cheer 
Australia in whatever form that it is. Not just because we love that activity or sport, but because we love belonging to this country. It's part of our identity. This is our land. And having a relationship with God, well, it's tied very closely to the land when, from the beginning when God spoke to Abraham and said, I am giving you a land where we are going to hang out together, where we are going to be in harmony and dwell together. And yet, exile from these places has become such an unwelcome part of life for many. And I don't just mean the odd person, I mean many. And it's very relevant at any time in recent years, but even right now, the crisis in Syria and what's taking place in Europe, the images are distressing. Thousands are streaming into Germany, into Austria. It's great to see a nation actually thinking about people first, even though there may be great consequences to what they do. Then we saw, some of us saw, that three-year-old boy, Aylan, dead on the beach. I don't know what I think of whether those images should have been put all around the world. It's kind of disturbing and I don't know whether I necessarily agree with it. But what we are confronted with, what it's done, it's brought to the forefront, if it needed to be, the world is in exile. The world is displaced. There is a new high. 59.5 million people are displaced because of war. It's a record. When I said many, just because of war, there's 59.5 million people, and I haven't talked about natural disasters or any other things. Exile is just get your head around those numbers and, and then put it aside and not worry about it. Like, that's what we do. There are 12 million stateless people. Today, today's pop up moment is about God's people in exile. God's people whose relationship is built around the land that we saw in those two disastrous moments in the kids' spot. I actually did have the verses to actually say uh, that did happen. In 2 Kings, you see that happening and taking place in chapter 17 um, and and throughout 2 Kings, the drama, kind of the the history of it, uh, of that taking place. And the prophets that, that were spoke before the exile, during it and after it, point to this moment. What does it mean? Is it just history and part of our background as as Christians, but we can leave it behind, or is it far more significant? So I think one of the key moments, if not the key moment that sheds light, the pop-up moment that really sheds light on the exile is Ezekiel and his bones. Ezekiel and his bones. You see, what we see in Ezekiel, and that we'll see today, is that the exile is about the death and the resurrection of Israel. And if you're not a Christian today, and you're wondering, why do I care about this? It's because I think where we end up 
is the challenge for us to consider, are we in exile with God? And so if you like, come with me as we try and unpack this a little bit. You see, before we get to Ezekiel 37, um, you should have that open, and it'll come up on the screen as well at points, but the testimony of the prophets in the language of Ezekiel is that Israel are dry bones. Now, if you do outlines, there's two parts today. Israel are dry bones, part two, Israel will be living bones, and then our exile. Israel are dry bones. That is, they are useless. You can give these bones to the dog and they can chew them and bury them and do what they want because they're no good, they're not alive. And this idea was established in prophets who were talking before even the Assyrians came. Amos spoke of the state that is about to come of the destruction that we kind of played out when he said in chapter 5 verse 1 hear this word O house of Israel this lament I take up concerning you fallen is virgin Israel never to rise again deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up and then in chapter 7 and the Lord asked me what do you see Amos a plumb line I replied then the Lord said look I'm setting up a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. The picture is Israel is going to be destroyed. The picture is death. They will be fallen. They will not be a nation. There is a promise of disaster. And this promise of disaster, if you notice there, you can see it just in verse 9. With my sword, God says. Not, I can't protect you from the Assyrians. Is that, I have so determined this is the way it will play out. This is your death. And so we should not be surprised in our passage today that the beginning of it in Ezekiel chapter, seven, uh, chapter 37 verse 1, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Israel are dry bones with no, lo- no life. Sorry, I didn't pick that on. Israel are dry bones with no life. And so we see in verse 11, if you flick down in your Bibles, you see that the, then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. Israel, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. It's very clear the verdict is dead. You can hardly see the word dead there because they're just dissipating. They're gone. They're a shadow. They're dead. Israel has lost its home. This is a massive deal. If you've been here the other weeks and we've seen how God was setting up his people, that the covenant is in tatters. 
God had set up a promise, a relationship. And it wasn't a relationship, I will do this for you, off you go. It was, I will sort all this out. I will do this for you. I will be your God. You will have a great land, offspring blessing. And in this land, and you will live in a relationship with me. I'm a holy God and so you will respond in holiness. Now it's in tatters. The promise of death in Amos becomes a devastating true reality in Ezekiel. The land is gone and so is hope. The north is wiped out, the south is in a mess, Jerusalem has fallen. No longer do God's people have security, joy, comfort, confidence, assurance, because they have a land with God. The things we would love in a land... The things that many of the displaced people in the world today would just like one of those things. Because they are dead, is the verdict. Israel are dry bones. Why? God's people have rejected God's way, his covenant. For the sake of time today, we're not going to go into uh, passages and break them down, but in um, Hosea, it's a great book which highlights in depth the idea that Israel, well, they're prostitutes. They're adulterers. Chapter 1 and chapter 4 highlight the fact that they've forsaken God and they've gone to another. And using that really confronting language of adultery and prostitution. They're giving worship to another. They offer, they have images of other gods that don't even exist and God's offended by them. And it's got so bad, it's so debauched, it's such a rejection of God's covenant. God says enough is enough. I have out of my mercy set this covenant up with you. You have defied it over and over again enough is enough you are dead what does this say about God I want to suggest to you that it helps us clarify in our minds his covenant is a covenant it's not a I'll do this and you can ignore it but I've still made these promises so we can move on it's God's entered into a relational promise agreement with us, which means you respond to it. That's what he's done to his people. That the promise of a land to be with God is so that you can be with him. So you can't be with God and worship other gods, not live his way, not care for his ways, it doesn't, that's not the relationship that was set up. It can't work. And so it's a reminder that the covenant is a covenant. It tells us that God is not a bad parent. A parent who is a policeman. He is a policeman and his son is always getting in trouble a little bit of vandalism here, a little bit of drugs here, nothing major but enough to get in trouble and to get pulled up by the cops, a little bit of uh, uh, drunken disorderliness. But this policeman has a bit of rank and power, so he can just wander on in and say, you know what, you can prosecute my son, but I'm your superior. 
your call. And this son, time and time again, gets away with it. That's not a loving father. That's a bad father. Who doesn't care. That is not God. He's always said, you can't live as my people without being my people. Enough is enough. It reminds us in harsh, stark, confronting, with a lot of questions that we can't even engage with today, but it reminds us that God is consistent, reliable, he punishes and he disciplines. But here's the problem. Here's the problem, at least in my mind, that needs reconciling. Doesn't this create a problem for God? I feel like the way the covenant's set up, he's kind of backed himself into a little bit of a corner and he can't get out of it because we've seen that he's made promises and they're not promises that can be just forgotten about. He's made eternal promises. The other day, we talked about the fact that there's a forever kingdom and a forever king and now, what's going to happen? The way he set up the the covenant, it seems it's impossible to keep because it's been rejected, but he's made forever promises. You see, the exile is not just about death. It tells us that out of exile, Israel will be living bones. They will be living bones. Look with me at Ezekiel 37 again. I want to read it through. And as we read it through, let's see how dead comes to life. The imagery is is astounding. It's fantastic. Let's have a look at it. Follow it on your Bible. uh, Follow it on the screen with me if you like. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life then you will know that i am the lord so i prophesied as i was commanded and as i was prophesying there was a noise a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone life is coming out of death verse 8 i looked and tendons and flesh appeared tendons and flesh appeared appeared on them and skin covered them but there was no breath in them here comes the breath verse 9 then he said to me prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign lord says come breathe 
from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. Here we have dead bones coming to life in vivid imagery. Verse 10, I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our, bo- they say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. See verse 11? These bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. And so the finale in verse 12 to 14. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. There is resurrection. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. Verse 14, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. God, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. The land is coming back. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. What do we make of this? Israel will be living bones because they are resurrected. You see, what Ezekiel 37 is telling us, national death can be overcome by the Spirit of God. You see the close connection of the Spirit and the Word in Ezekiel 37? It's magnificent. It's what the Bible always does. Dry bones hear the word of the Lord, verse 4. And what do they hear? This is what the sovereign Lord says to the bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. The spirit comes as God's word is revealed. And life is given. Breath is, is there. His, promise, his covenant promises are recast in Ezekiel 37. The Spirit of God brings life. It's a life that Jeremiah, another key little moment that reveals to us this death and resurrection of Israel, talks about the fact that there has to be a new covenant, that the covenant is going to be made new. And the difference is it goes from I'm going to tell you that this is the way you're going to be, to I'm going to put my spirit in you and the way you want, need to be is going to be transformed by me in you. In uh, Jeremiah, the days of the Lord are, are, are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law, that's God's ways, in their minds, in their hearts. And he's going to write it there. It's not out there, it's being transformed in here is the new way. I will be their God 
and they will be my people. It's magnificent. It's a brilliant picture of a resurrection. Now, we don't have time to go into what happens in the exile. There is a sense that the promises, they actually do go back to the land. But you know what? The promise of it being a better new covenant isn't what they go back to. If we were to look at it in detail, they get there, but it's not as good. They build the temple again, but it's not as good. They still feel the sense of it's not quite right. Because the new covenant is cast differently. The new covenant is not just about the death and resurrection of Israel, it's about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Isaiah, another prophet who spoke into this, this exile problem, he said in chapter 43... Verse 16, this is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out chariots and horses, the army, the army um, and reinforcements, to get reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do not perceive it. I am making a way in the wilderness, the desert, in the exile, and streams in the wasteland. Something is going to come out of the exile, out of the wilderness. And so when we get to the New Testament and we get to Mark's Gospel, we find one who is making a way, who's kind of out in the wilderness, in the exile, so to speak, in John the Baptist. It is written... I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way, a voice of one calling in the, in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Out in this wilderness, the crazy story of John the Baptist. And in that wilderness, in that exile, comes Jesus. Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, and a voice from heaven came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, into the wilderness. And he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. When this one who appears on the scene in the wilderness, who arrives to anoint him? The spirit of God that can overcome national death is here anointing Jesus. And sends him into exile into the desert. And where he deals with Satan perfectly. But that's not the real exile for Jesus. If we read the Gospels and hear his story, his real exile comes when he's on a cross facing the wrath of all of the world. For what God, for what we've done to God. 
when he is there facing our punishment, this new covenant is being revealed. That Jesus has come, the Spirit anointed Jesus has come so that you and I don't have to be in that exile. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he became sin for us. And so there is a new creation in chapter 5 verse 17. The old is gone, the new has come. All of the effort of the exile and looking back there reminds us that Jesus has come so we don't have to face it in our lives with God. And so as we finish, we need to consider the exile we all face. Are your bones dry or are your bones alive? On one sense, that's a ridiculous question, right? All of you are here alive. Yes? Good? We're breathing, the bones move, they're working, you're alive. But are you? Because while they're kind of actually alive, without Jesus and the Spirit of God, your bones are actually really dead. The new way of the Spirit of God is that through Jesus, the land that you should want and to long for beyond the grave is yours because of what he did on the cross. That your bones will live beyond the grave into that new land only with Jesus. If we don't have the Spirit of God... The harsh reality is your bones are already dead. I have two points to finish thinking on. And before we get to them, if you're not a Christian today, that's the challenge for you. That's why I wanted you to come along with us. Hopefully you were able to. Because what we're seeing is the challenge by God to say, I want you to live with me. And everyone keeps on mucking it up. Everyone won't be able to do it themselves. So I've come so I can change you from the inside. Trust in my son. And that offer is for all of us. You can respond to that today. But as we finish, just for a couple more minutes, wishful thinking, the world's problem, our danger. I forgot grammar there. Wishful thinking is the world's problem and I think it's our danger. You see, the world would like to think there is no problem. That my bones aren't dry. That one of the answers that we're looking at with the um, problem with Christianity is, I'm fine with Christianity, There's no, I don't need it though. Oh, I think that's so true for today. It's irrelevant, we don't need it. That's why we really wanted to do this series. That's why I invite people to come along because actually their bones are dry without Jesus. And somehow, hopefully God will help them see they need to consider that. Because the world around us is thinking, it's not an issue, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. We want people to come and hear that there can be life. I think we see this no more clearly than at death. 
Hoping for a home without the Spirit of God is the testimony of so many funerals. Testimony of so many people saying they're looking down on us now happily. And tragically, there is no Jesus anywhere to be seen. It's wishful thinking. And it's also our danger. It's our danger because maybe we can get complacent and forget that. Maybe we forget what is going on in the bigger picture. And so what we need to do to finally finish is remember your exile while looking forward to your home. You see, we should never forget where we've come from, being dead. And we don't stay there though. We look forward to our home. Because if we look forward to our home, we want to be living for God His way. And if we don't do that, you know what we'll do? We'll go back to complacency because we'll get stuck here. I'll get stuck thinking that Australia is the be-all and end-all. That Australia is the place I want to be. My brown lounge sitting there every night is the most important thing. That my family is the most important thing. That all of those good things that I love so dearly are the most important thing. And I've forgotten that my home and my real land is not my country, the house where my family is now, or even my lounge. We need to remember the exile and look forward to our home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the death and resurrection of Jesus. We pray that no one here will be dry bones. We thank you that Jesus is the one who turns our dry bones into living tendons, skin, and life. Amen.